about Tazara and your latest research and what your latest research says about mm, the overall sure. Tazara story. Yeah, so I guess I could start by saying, um, you know, my new, my current project, it's um, been going for a couple years now, uh, moved from Tanzania into Zambia. My first book just looked at Tanzania. And it's a book about labor. And I'm collaborating also with a filmmaker, which has been really uh, fun and exciting. Um, and so one of the places we began doing research was in Kapiti Mposhi, um, and one of the first discoveries I made was that I was a very Tanzania-centric historian. So I'd always imagined that Kapiti was the <laughs> end of the railway, the end of the line. But of course, Zambian people um, don't imagine Kapiti as the end, but, but at the beginning, or actually they imagine it more as a kind of hub, as a, a center out of which all kinds of goods get dispersed that come from the Indian Ocean on Tazara. Um, yeah, so I got, I was interested in labor and I started to notice a form of labor that I hadn't seen very much before, uh, which is the labor of porters. And at Kapiti, there, there are so many goods that are offloaded and some that are onloaded, but a lot of goods are offloaded in the dry port and on the platforms. So I started to pay attention to porter workers or porters and interview them and, um, interesting that through them, because they actually handle all of these goods, I began to understand the way that the shipment of goods or the movement of goods has been really uh, changing over time on Tazara. Um, yeah, so that's really taken me into my new focus, um, which is on Kapiti and Poshi as a kind of a hub or a center for uh, commodity movements um, that are global, uh, coming from the Indian Ocean, some of them coming from uh, places like Lake Victoria, coming by railroad, even by ship, of course, <laughs> and then from Kapiti again, going off in all different directions. Now, not you know, not just to the Copper Belt, which was the original vision of Tazara, but um, to um, you know all kinds of places to uh, Zimbabwe, Malawi, uh, even to South Africa and Congo. Lots and lots of goods going to Eastern Congo. I'm wondering, all right, could you talk a little bit about Tazara porters and during the, the colonial and, and just post-colonial period, I imagine porters were a, a major part of the economic landscape. And, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about tracing the rise of Tazara and the rise or, or the maintenance of the, the porter industry. Sure. Um, yeah, and just to say, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Tazara is um, even though the inauguration of construction officially began ceremonially in 1971, the survey and design work was done between uh, 1968 and the, and the inauguration. Um, and survey and design work is very important. And during that time, there was also some identification and setup for um, what would eventually become base camps. So that's partly why it's hard sometimes to give a specific fixed date for the beginning of Tazara. Um, and, the, and in part because survey and design work is so important. And just generally, I think, I think it is correct to say that Tazara as a project began at that time. Uh, because one of the things I'm trying to argue in my new work is that the labor 
the process of work on Tazara was itself um, a form of development. I'm really interested in this idea. Could you expand a form of development? The work is a form of well, development. Well, what I'm what arguing that is that in the process of building Tazara, which is information I've got gotten both from oral interviews but also from documents, the intentional um, uh, training and uh, operationalizing uh, of a of a workforce was was a critical component of the project. Um, at that time, it wasn't. It was partly the initiative of Julius Nureri uh, to, in his push to really develop um, industrial workers in the new nation, uh, but also the documents from China state very clearly that their their job is to make that railway line uh, independent as best they can, so that they can leave behind a cohort of workers that can operate the railway on their own. So I think that in itself is a kind of vision of self-reliance, um, self-reliance in the broader sense of having skilled workers. And it's true that many workers I've interviewed that, that were part of Tazara, that were trained in machine shops and even trained on the line, uh, continued to have work that they call in Swahili ufundi or sort of skilled work, uh, even uh, until today. Not all, of course, but... Uh, so part of it was a general um, idea that the thousands of workers would bring their skills into other kinds of development after the construction was completed. But also the intention was that Tazara would be um, able to be operated by African um, managers uh, after after completion. That wasn't completely realized. It took almost a decade afterwards for all of the operations training. There was a 10-year period of, of operations training that followed construction. Um, and even to today, there are still some Chinese experts that continue uh, to work. They, they've, they've come and gone in different uh, numbers over the years. But I would say that that work, creating um, creating an experience of work in uh, industri industrial or technical projects like Tazara is, is really important uh, part of the way it was imagined and actually the way it really turned out in my view. That's great that you mentioned that. And, it, you know, right now in terms of the modern China-Africa discourse, there's a complaint of um, lack of technical transfer on part of the Chinese um, to various African projects. Uh, but if you look back at the history, I mean, part of, part of the spirit of Bandung is basically... You know, China South South solidarity, but also self reliance and and teaching, having um, development projects put together that that taught the recipient country how to manage them themselves. And I'm wondering if you can you can explore what that meant for um, Tazara for in terms of the people that you talked to, and then going into today, because as our listeners maybe might not know, Tazara wasn't doing so hot in terms of its initial vision, it still runs. But the vision, the management, these are complicated subjects. And I'm wondering if, if you can you can talk about self-reliance and the evolution of Tazara and, and how sure. it's managed now. Yeah, and I think um, just one thing to say, too, one of the things that's difficult about contemporary railway projects is that, you know, China's in... in Chinese railway companies are in competitive bidding uh, 
uh, contacts with other bidders. In South Africa, they've just signed a big agreement with a Chinese railway company or a, or a locomotive um, company to build new locomotives. They've actually done now, I think there are three contracts. One is with GE, which is an American company. One is with a German company and the other is with a Chinese company to manufacture locomotives. So I think that some of these projects like, like manufacturing will actually bring technical transfer and technical benefits um, if they if they result in some kind of long-term development of factories and infrastructure for production that stays on site for a longer period of time. Could you tell our audience why was Tazara necessary? And and right now, when you're talking about these um, these different economies, these different modes of development mm. that's straying up about um, that came up because of Tazara. I mean, you outlined them in your book. You talk at length about the the different people setting up villages along the path of Tazara and and, and trading along with it. And I'm wondering, since you've written and, and published that book, what are our people thinking about Tazara in terms of what it means to them? I mean, are they saying, oh, the writing's on the wall, the government's not going to support it the way it should, this is not going to be economically viable in the near future, or instead, oh, we're going to get a fat loan from China, it's going to be fixed, we're going to have no worries, we'll, we'll be with Tazara till we die, or some combination thereof. Well, a couple of things. One is I, I this summer um, I had a lot of fun. I was participating in a film documentary film project with CCTV, and that allowed me to um, travel along many sections where I had worked in the past. And I was actually surprised to see quite a high level of trading and economic activity and use of Tazara, very high, um, and 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 at the same time extremely frustrating that the services are much um much poorer than at the time I wrote my book there are fewer passenger trains and I focused a lot on the role of the passenger train as a conveyor not just of people but of goods um in local and regional exchange um so there are fewer trains and they're not running on time uh and we I can talk about the reasons for that as well but but I was I I saw that people continued to um, show up <laughs> in a way, show up for Tazara. You know, one of the things I tried to argue was that we have to understand how people use technology and there's a sense in which people are pushing Tazara. Um, local people are pushing and uh, there's a lot of frustration right now. The other thing that was really interesting for me was working on the Zambian side. I had expected to find mostly long distance shipping into Zambia and uh, connections with products going to and from the copper belt primarily. Um, but I learned that there, there's quite a lot of small-scale commodity trading, which makes sense, of course, from Nakonde or from the border town with with Tanzania and Zambia uh, in the northern, uh, the northeastern part of Zambia that doesn't um, have uh, always uh, other transport alternatives or people aren't always using them. And it's all going in parcels, <laughs> which is just what I found in Tanzania. And I'm now doing a parcel receipt database for Zambia that's very much like the one I did for the Tanzania book. And of course, it links up with my porters because those goods also end up in the hands of porters. So now, I, who knows, maybe I'll have to go back to Tanzania and do a study of porters in Tanzania. But it's been very uh, good and, and, and fascinating for me to see the, the similarities and differences on the Zambian side. 
Um, but but there, I think that the the situation with Chinese uh, com- coming in, I think that it Kikwete, the president of, of Tanzania, was here uh, not long ago and signing some uh, memoranda and um, really moving forward. I think with with the with with what's needed for the Chinese to bring some support for re- refurbishing Tazar, and it's desperately needed. On the other hand, this issue of China coming to save Tazara has really been there since I wrote my book. I think in the last chapter of my book, I wrote hopefully, oh, you know, the Chinese may be coming back soon. And that's uh, quite, you know, five years now that since that that book was published and maybe a little bit longer since the since the copy editing was done. Uh, so I I feel that one of the, the, the things that's, that makes it difficult to run a project is when you don't know how the future will look. I think that some of the things we call corruption and mismanagement are partly because people have a sense that something is going to happen. It may be something that puts the train in private hands. Um, it may be something that has a combination of public and private. People don't really know. So there's there's a combination, I think, of hopefulness, but also some anxiety. And uh, 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 in that kind of context, as we know, rumors can circulate um, and I think it would be better for Tazara if if something could be settled quickly and people could know the future and work towards that future. I think those those people I know that that have worked their whole life on Tazara, they're very dedicated to the railway. They would like to see it thrive, uh, but uh, without uh, a really strong sense of what the future holds, it's it's. Um, I think it's causing a lot of stress for many of the people who've who've lived with the train and and who've worked for the train as well. In you're talking about the future. Tell tell us about the past. You have one of my favorite explanations of why Tesoro was formed and the trials and tribulations of building it. And you know what? Right now, the popular narrative of Tesoro is that um, it was basically. Uh, how do I put this? That that it, it was Tanzania's first choice because because of South South solidarity mm-hmm. with China, and I'm wondering if if you can talk to our listeners and let them know about why why Tazar was built in the first place and and how China got involved and some of the people who who came over to sure. help build it. Yeah. I think one of the things I said in my book is that even from the beginning, Tazara was um, uh, both praised and criticized for being a political railway. So those who really advocated for breaking free from the colonial railway networks into um, more pan-African or pan-regional railway structures, um, there were people who saw that politically as a very positive, um, a positive step. Um, there were those, of course, who supported uh, liberation struggles in then South Africa, uh, uh, then uh, Portuguese and um, and white settler ruled South Africa and Rhodesia, that also saw it politically as uh, very meaningful and significant. And I think it's hard to sometimes it's hard for us to remember back, or if you obviously don't remember because you probably were born then, but. You should think back to those days um, and think back to, for myself, for example, I didn't believe in my lifetime that Nelson Mandela would ever be freed from prison. Uh, it was hard for us to imagine a future of um, uh, South Africa. We, we did imagine that future because we, we fought against apartheid. But the politics of that time, uh, I think, 
it, it maybe we need to remember what that time was like. And, and um, part of it was the Pan-African vision of the railway, and part of it was the liberation of the um, sort of stranglehold that what was held on transport to the South. So that was definitely there. But of course, other critics uh, said that the politics of the railway uh, were were causing a very uneconomical um, uh, infrastructure program to move forward. Um, and that was certainly the critique of the World Bank and some of the other Western donors. Uh, but what I, what I hoped to show was, first of all, that most railways are political and economic. And the political economy of railways really is um, a very entangled uh, question that 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 um, we could take any railway in the world and understand it um, and understand it as both being political and economic, um, but also um, what I also tried to argue was that 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 these sort of huge uh, state projects can have very meaningful impacts that either are not envisioned or the vision of the local and regional impact is sort of hidden in small print. Actually, most of the Tazara conversations and documents do mention that this railway would bring needed uh, developments to southern Tanzania and northeastern Zambia, exactly the places where I have found um, rural and rural and um, and small town development. So it was in the original plan, but it was overshadowed, I think, by the politics of the time and by the kind of scale that uh, mining revenues and mining capital at that time seemed to hold in, 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 in the, in the way people thought about the train. And, and they still do. I mean, I interviewed a, a Chinese expert in, in Dar es Salaam this summer who believes that Tazara will never be uh, um, able to generate enough revenue to support itself because he just doesn't think that even in the mine, if the, if all the mines were producing well and shipping, that it would be uh, enough to support the train. Uh, that was his particular viewpoint. Interestingly, his other colleague who had dinner with me, another Chinese expert, said he shared a, had a, quite a different perspective that he felt that uh, Africa is, especially Tanzania and Zambia, are on the rise towards the kinds of regional industrialization that China has experienced. Um, so he imagined this kind of new industrial rural Africa that he, I think he said in 25 years, um, Tazara will be uh, a main artery in a newly industrialized rural Africa. Well, not any, I suppose it wouldn't be rural then any longer at that point. So very interesting. Two two men, both very closely connected to Zara, but different um, visions of the future. Do you have any sense of how much money Tazara makes and how close it is to turning a profit or if not even turning a profit just maintaining itself and, and i ask that because in in the u.s um our the american rail system amtrak amtrak owns the cars and it owns the tracks so the u.s government doesn't subsidize anything if if i recall correctly which is also why our train tickets are so expensive mm. compared to europe but i'm wondering if if that's the same case for Tazara and and just in terms of the economic situation that the that the railway is facing, who owns the cars, who owns the tracks, and and how many people are necessary to 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 turn a profit or whether it ever yeah. really can. Well, that's such a good question, and I I don't have the numbers uh, to answer that question, but I could send some of that to you. I think. Um, but I know that the railway has been running in arrears. I mean, I just read that 
now they've they've they're not paying salaries once again. They have a lot of debt. Um, and so I, I, I don't know how that's calculated exactly. Um, so I wouldn't, I think if I gave you an answer, I, I, I would run the risk of saying something that wasn't correct. I say something that's wrong all the time. <laughs> stop me. But I think that the point that you made about Amtrak, and I think this is a point that's that, that people make here in China is that railways that serve developing regions, um, need subsidies they need supports um i think um that 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 kind of economy of railways is uh, is something that i think people people would would agree with certainly here in china um but it's interesting because when i wrote my first book i did interview several uh, people from railway companies in the United States who are engaged in privatization of state-owned railways around the world, including many developing countries, including Africa. I can't remember where they were they were doing this in in Africa, but I asked them point blank. I just said, "Look, you know, does this kind of smaller scale village to village or town to town movement of people and goods is this, you know, just a financial burden?" Um, and if so, shouldn't it be put on the table? And and we need to ask who's going to pay for that 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 cost. And those those I talked to two different uh, people, and they both said no. That actually, if it's handled and managed in the right way, railways can generate the kind of development that sustains them, and they can become profitable in that way. And they both said we wouldn't do the work we do if there weren't profits to be made through this. So their view was that. Um, uh, this kind of um, passenger traffic or small goods exchange traffic could be um, could become viable. I think what my Chinese expert friend in Dar es Salaam was referring to was a low level of population. That's what he kept saying over and over again. He said the difference between China and Africa is you just don't have the volume of people. Um, so you get a Chinese rural train, and it's you know Chunjia. It's the spring festival, and it's, it's packed. Um, it's hard to get a train ticket here. I've, I've, you know, been living in Jinhua, and I have to buy early um, because there, there are lots and lots of people who take the train. So the gentleman I met in Dar, I think that was part of his argument, um, was that different contexts have different economies. Um, but then again, you know, the I think the other gentleman was saying the train, if it's built and run correctly, will will pull people towards it for settlement, um, for economic activity. Sort of two different views, I guess. That's really fascinating. I'm wondering if, if you can talk about some of the interviews you you did with the original Tazara workers and perhaps any current Tazara staff and their vision of, of the railway, what it meant to build Tazara, what it means now to work for Tazara. Yeah, I would say that among the older workers who I've interviewed, and I've interviewed many, many workers by now in both uh, both Tanzania and Zambia, and, and, and as many as I'm able to find in China, although there aren't uh, as many that are still living and they're not easy to locate, um, I would say in every case, uh, workers either tell me directly in our conversation how meaningful it was to work on this project or there's some other evidence. Uh, for example, there's an older gentleman up in, um, in Harbin, way up in the north of China, 
I, I wasn't, I, I happened upon this, this worker uh, in his downway. There were 15 who went from Harbin uh, to work on Tazara, and he's the one who's still there. And uh, we walked into his apartment, a two-room apartment, and uh, he just, it was like a magician pulling scarves out of a hat. You know, he, almost every drawer he opened had some memento he had saved. Um, in his desk drawer, he had a list of all the stations. He had the ticket that he used to take the ship his first journey over. He had the suitcase in his bedroom that was filled with things that he had brought back from Zambia. Um, he had a lamp carved of ebony that had been made for him in Zambia. And this is a two-room apartment, and that was probably four years out of the man's whole life. He's about um, 80 by now, I'm guessing. And just the the material presence of that work experience in his living space gave me a feeling for how this must have um, what what the, what this must have meant to him. But when we talked with him, just to continue with him as an example, he was very uh, very frustrated and discouraged by reports that he's heard of the railways' um, needs for rehabilitation and mismanagement. And he kept saying, uh, they need us. <laughs> they need us. Uh, we, should, we should be guiding them. We should be uh, continuing. And, and this way of guiding, of, um, this is very significant even now of, of, of letting the African workers do the work, but kind of being there um, to guide and support the work. That's really the role the experts have played as well uh, that in DAR. So, that's one example. And I, I find the same kinds of stories among African workers. Many of those who built the railway are called back again and again as advisors because they have such uh, good uh, technical skills and good experience from, from the, the years that they were trained. Some of them did um, higher degrees even later uh, back in China. Um, so they, there are also disgruntled workers who left the project, and I've talked with them. Also, uh, but those who who became salaried and stayed on, uh, in particular, I think, um, have a very, very positive memory of, of their work. I think that I think that makes it all the more bitter. I would say those workers who built Zara, they're very bitter today because many of them are not receiving pensions, and the time of Tazara's. I guess really almost bankrupt status uh, coincides with the retirement of the ones that gave the most. It really gave their whole lives. You know, it's 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 a, a very it's painful in some ways to see the um, the living conditions of people who 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 did so much to build the train. Um, and uh, and then um, but then on the other hand, we have a younger generation of workers now who. Uh, who are also frustrated because their salaries are are in arrears quite often. Um, so there's sort of two different levels of work. I think everyone is in agreement that the railway needs help. <laughs> I think the debate is what kind of form that help should take and, and who will pay for it because it will be pricey, it will be expensive. Can we switch tracks and talk about Zambian politics? I you did your your research, I think, just as uh, Michael President Michael Sato, the recently deceased uh, president of Zambia, uh, took took office in the country, and he 
is a, a, a major populist leader whose anti-China rhetoric made him interesting to foreign audiences. What Michael Sata meant for Tazara and the current administration of Tazara, because I th- believe it's done by Tanzania and Zambia. Like, there's no single unified um, administrative unit. That's a that's a good question, and I'm really sorry that I don't have um, a very clear answer. I don't follow the politics at the presidential level very well. What I would say, though, is that the the management structure of Tazara in the past, until very recently, had a quite rigid um, quota of uh, positions that were held by Zambians and positions that were held by Tanzanians. And so um, one of the things that happened um, before Sata's election I believe I'm, I have this right that the the man, so the managing director of Tazara is always a Zambian and it has always been somewhat of a political appointment. Um, so Akalebanika was the managing director, and the especially I think on the Tanzanian side there has been a, a, some frustration, not not perhaps so much with individuals, although that that can be there as well, but that they would rather have someone as a managing director who's really a railway specialist, a railway expert, rather than a, um, a political figure. And so the current, um, now I just don't remember, um, I think it's Piri who's the current um, CEO. I'll have to double check on that. Um, so that's one of it is that, that they're, the, the current CEO is someone who has more of a railway background um, but then the other thing that has just happened is that the Chinese have pushed uh, for Tazara, not just the Chinese, but I think many actors have pushed for um, dismantling that original management structure so that um, the consultation and the, the ways that, that, the, that the railway is run don't have to go through so many intricate kind of binational um, hoops in a, in a way. So I think that is one of the outcomes now is that, that formerly presidential appointments or political appointments to this, the, the management level were, were part of the problem. And I think that's going to cease now. And it, it doesn't have so much to do with presidential politics. I mean, it has something to do with presidential politics and it has something to do with, um, with uh, the breaking up now, I think this is going to be the future. I haven't seen those agreements. They're new, but I think that the future will be um, more divided management, that there will be more, at least for the local traffic, more um, uh, more independence for each of the two countries. That's that's really fascinating. Um, we're, we're going to wrap this up by asking... Can you share one story or or anecdote from Zambia that you really want to let our listeners know about? Like something that happened or somebody that you talked to that you just thought was fantastically interesting? Sure. Um, I'll just tell a little story about um, someone who's become a close friend, actually, Benson Mushobo who is a, a retired railway engineer who worked in the Impica workshop, now living um, in uh, Kapiti. 
So Benson was one of the first um, engineering students in China at Beijiada, Beijing Jiaotong Dashui, or Beijing uh, Communications University in the early 70s. And he went back in the 80s. He was actually here in 89 to finish um, his uh, degree. And as part of his engineering degree, he had to do uh, what I suppose we would consider a thesis project. He had to complete uh, a design of a locomotive. And so I'd been to visit him a couple of different times and interviewed him and talked to him about his life story, filmed with him. And I've lived with his family in Kapiti. Um, and then slowly, as we got to know him better, he's been pulling these things, again, like uh, the old gentleman in Harbin, you know, pulling these uh, things that he's kept out of his suitcases and out of his back rooms. And he pulls out um, his whole project. He kept his whole project from uh, his degree in engineering and he's got it written out, all the formulas, all the designs, everything um, in Chinese. <laughs> it's just amazing. And then he pulls out this blueprint and he unfolds it on the coffee table. It's the size of a coffee table. It's huge. And it's this beautiful blueprint of a locomotive for Tazara with the Tazara logo right on it, um, several pages. And I would say that's one of the most um, beautiful and very moving moments for me was when he shared that with us. And then, of course, as part of our visit, just another one was when he found his uh, advanced calculus textbook all in Chinese and sat down in the living room to read it to me in Chinese. <laughs> After all these years, uh, still able to read those those characters. Um, so that's one of the more remarkable experiences I've had. And maybe just one more would be being in Zambia uh, with Mr. Mubi, another friend of ours in Mpika, uh, and then having him show me his photo album, some photographs of him in China going to places like the Great Wall or Tiantan in Beijing. And then we go to visit someone in China in their living room and they say, let me show you some of my photos of those years. And they show the exact same picture, the exact same print. Uh, so these connections are what, what I find very moving as well. The memories of, um, having been together, having worked side by side. That's really uh, something that I find moving in my work. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm, thank you for interviewing me. I'm glad that you were able to hear me. It was a little bit um, on and off on my side, but I, I'm glad that you got my words. And um, I'm glad that you're doing this topic and doing some history. Yay! <laughs> <Very> <laughs>